0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Good morning. This is Pacific Beach on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, one of Solomon Islands' harshest critics of China is facing a vote of no confidence that could ruin his political career. But some say the move against Malaita Premier Daniel Sudani is an attempt to weaken his popularity.
2: This motion of no confidence has really come out without any signs of popular protest or support.
1: And an Australian political party is pushing for the immediate evacuation of asylum seekers in PNG and Nauru. For one refugee living in Papua New Guinea, that's welcome news.
3: Not safety, not good treatment. It's not an uh, opportunity for work. I don't uh, like to stay in PNG.
1: All that and more today on the show. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. So glad to have your company. First, though, delegates from the Pacific's top diplomatic body are in Japan to discuss a controversial plan to release treated nuclear wastewater into the Pacific Ocean. The water has been used to cool nuclear reactors that melted down in the Fukushima Fukushima power plant disaster more than a decade ago. Some scientists say releasing the water is safe, but Pacific leaders and community groups have been raising concerns. Marion Farr with this
4: Report. In 2011, the world witnessed a full scale nuclear disaster on the coast of Japan.
0: Welcome to Four Corners, and in the wake of Japan's triple nightmare earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear reactor explosions.
4: A 15 metre tsunami hit Fukushima, smashing into a nuclear power plant and triggering a meltdown of its reactors. In the years following the disaster, more than a million tonnes of water has been used to cool those reactors. That water is currently sitting in large tanks at the site. But Japan will soon begin releasing it into the Pacific Ocean after it's been treated. Last month, Secretary-General of the Pacific Islands Forum, Henry Puna, told Pacific Beat it was a crucial matter for the region.
0: The important issue here is the safety of our Blue Pacific. And uh, given the transboundary nature of any contamination, And the intergenerational uh, duration of uh, the contamination, it's absolutely critical that we put a stop or at least ask Japan to defer the release until science and data tells us that it is safe.
4: Now, Mr Puna is in Japan to discuss the issue with the country's Prime Minister and senior politicians. Joining him is Cook Islands Prime Minister Mark Brown and Marshall Islands Foreign Minister Kitlang Kabua. In a statement released ahead of today's meeting, Mr Puna said all PIF members supported the visit.
5: It is a
3: demonstration of the importance that we place on Japan as a partner and I am confident that they will continue to work with the region towards a common and a shared understanding of the
5: key priorities that we have highlighted.
4: One of those priorities is ensuring there will be no risk of contamination to Pacific marine resources. Before the wastewater is discharged into the ocean, it will be treated extensively to remove most of the radioactive material. But one isotope, called tritium, can't be completely removed. Tritium is a naturally occurring radioactive form of hydrogen that is technically difficult to separate from water. TEPCO, the company responsible for managing the wastewater at Fukushima, says it is safe to release, and many scientists around the world agree. But others have their doubts. A panel of experts hired by the Pacific Islands Forum to review TEPCO's plans say they aren't satisfied with the information the company has provided. Tuvalu's Foreign Minister, Simon Coffey, says he'll only support Japan's plan if that's rectified.
5: As long as we are reassured by these independent scientists that it is safe, then, then, then the Pacific would, would support that. But at the moment, the reports that we're getting back from the scientists is that they haven't really received enough data to, to make uh, any conclusive recommendation.
4: He wants Japan to halt the release of wastewater.
5: The concern is that... If it is not safe to be discharged, then it would have significant impact on on the Pacific. One example would be our tuna industry. The Pacific is one of the richest fishing grounds for for, for tuna. Um, And it's actually one of the the last tuna stock that is being fished uh, sustainably.
4: Advocates around the region have also been voicing their fears. Japan's proposal is one that uh, is really concerning. Joey Tao is a member of the Pacific Collective on Nuclear Issues. He wants the PIF delegation to send a strong message to Japan.
6: The Pacific is not a dumping ground. The Pacific Ocean is not an area
4: that will dilute nuclear-treated waste. He says Pacific people rely on healthy oceans for food and income. It is important for uh, this part of the region, given our heavy reliance on the ocean, it forms our way of life
6: and our living. But I think it is also important for the global community.
4: But some leaders seem open to the idea. Federated States of Micronesia President David Panuelo was initially one of the most vocal critics of the plan. But now, he seems to have changed his mind. After a bilateral meeting with Japan's Prime Minister last week, Mr Panuelo said he was no longer as fearful or concerned. Still, That hasn't reassured Tuvalu's Foreign Minister, Simon Coffey.
5: Obviously, the President is entitled to his views and his opinion, but for for me, I guess the bottom line is that we need to hear it from our scientists.
4: Those scientists are also due to head to Fukushima to visit the power plant soon. Their findings there will be crucial for the region.
1: Marion Farr reporting with additional reporting from Hugo Hodge.
4: You're listening to
0: Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia.
1: One of Solomon Islands' biggest critics of the country's relationship with China is facing a no confidence vote that could see him lose his job. The premier of Malaita province, Daniel Suidani, is being accused of misappropriating funds, a claim his supporters say is simply a tactic to get the outspoken politician to shut up. It comes as authorities ramp up policing in Malaita province to monitor any rallies that could form against the motion of no confidence today, as Chris and Rita Amano Young reports.
7: Daniel Suidani has only four months left in office as the premier of the country's most populated province. But his political opponents want him out now. His relations with the Sogavare government have been testy and bitter. His opponents are accusing him of misappropriating funds and abuse of power. Dr. Anouk Ride is an academic from the University of Melbourne and focuses on initiatives for peace building. She says it's not the first time Mr. Suidani has faced a no-confidence vote.
2: I think the thing about uh, motions of no-confidence is it is a democratic process. It is people's right to do these things, but... Generally, motions of no confidence come up after a popular protest movement or statements from community leaders that they want a change in leadership for a certain policy direction or a certain, um, they're unhappy with a certain decision. This motion of no confidence has really come out without any signs of popular protest or support.
7: Over the past year, Solomon Islands was the subject of intense geopolitical competition after Honiara signed a security pact with Beijing. But Mr. Suidani continues to support Taiwan at the expense of relations with the Sogavare government. Dr. Wright says geopolitics shouldn't be a contributing factor to any leaders' motives or decision-making. I don't
2: see if the motion is successful or not successful. All of these conflicts are not going to go away. So, you know, the geopolitical conflict will still be there and will still be a factor influencing Solomon Island's politics, unfortunately. Um, It would be better if Solomon Island's politics were just about the needs of Solomon Islanders and the desires of Solomon Islanders. Um, And the same with the conflict between the the province and the national government.
7: While geopolitics can influence provincial politics, Dr. Wright says personal rivalries and domestic interests also shouldn't be overlooked. Whatever the reason, she says the threat of conflict is never far away
2: the vote of uh the motion of no confidence is successful that people feel like it was a decision made without them, yeah, by their elected representatives. Um and that could create a whole set of conflicts, you know, between the people in those constituencies that um, you know, the members supported the motion of no confidence. It could create conflicts between those who feel very strong support for Swidani and his government at the moment.
1: That was Dr. Anouk Ride Initiative of for Police Building University of Melbourne that's where she's from and that she was ending that report from Chris and Rita Amanu Leong and Pacific Beat has spoken to Premier Suudani's advisor, his name is Celsus Atalifilu he rejects accusations of fund mis- misappropriation against Mr. Suudani saying it is a tactic used against the Premier since he took office back in 2019 <music> Listening to Pacific Beat, a $600 million tourism and hotel project in Fiji's capital Suva is coming under fire by locals who are urging the government to intervene and stop the development. They say the environment is at risk if the Tian Lun Investment Limited project goes ahead. For more on this, I'm joined by the president of the Suva Harbour Foundation, Sidel Wipi. Uh, Bula good morning to you, Sidel.
8: Bula, bula Vinaka! Thank you so much for speaking to Silver Harbour Foundation this morning.
1: Yes, and I'm very interested to hear your thoughts, Sudel, on this project. I understand development hasn't quite started yet. So, so why exactly are you concerned?
8: Well, we're not the only ones who are concerned. Um, we're um, the, there's a growing uh, community concern that the development would mean con- destruction of what is understood to be one of the last. Stand of Teary, which is mangrove on the Suva Peninsula, and subsequent impact on biodiversity, bird life, and marine life on the tidal reef of the peninsula, um, the, together with the uh, PCC, which is uh, Reverend, led by Reverend James Bagwan, together with Suva Suppers and many other of the um, local community. Um, we just strongly uh, want to, you know, make it known that the Suva foreshore around Nasese is an important bird area for Fiji. It's important. Um, it's an important stopover destination for a number of migrant shorebirds that breed, um, you, know, you know, fly to Fiji to escape the northern winter. Um, there's many uh, concerns that have arisen um, from this, um, you know, unfortunate uh uh, development that um, has been plastered all over the media. Mm.
1: Um, I mean, that development is is expected to be in that area. Are you hoping that it can be done in a way that protects these, these birds' habitat, these mangroves, or do you want the development to be scrapped entirely?
8: Well... Um, you know, we, we're waiting for the consultation, which is planned for tomorrow. Um, you know, we, we'd we like to uh, push the 1985 mangrove management plan that included mangrove zonation plans for the mangroves within the Suva Nauvoo corridor um, as locally important for Fiji and requiring the specific uh, special attention prior to development approvals. Um, mangroves themselves are relatively thin. However, they do play a huge role in coastal protection. Um, there's a concern that dredging of the area will create proposed uh, to create the proposed marina could lead to flooding in the Narcese area, particularly during storm events, and when combined with hydrological alterations to the creek from the new bridge construction that's actually already, you know, almost complete uh, around this area. Um, Yes, so, um, you know, we're hoping that, um, you know, we we have a voice at the uh, public consultation tomorrow. Um, Mind you, uh, just to uh, reiterate the fact that uh, we've just opened today's local newspaper and the consultation's been deferred. Okay, yes.
1: Well, I mean, I understand there have been other public consultations as well that have been planned. I'm not sure if they've gone ahead. Do you feel like local residents, um, community groups like yours, yourself, um, and the, um, Suva Harbour Foundation have given, been given the ability to lodge their concerns with, um, Tianlun Investment, the, the, um, developers behind this, uh, project?
8: Uh, no we haven't um and and that's definitely uh you know the the concern we um we've not heard about this until the publication came out uh, you know from fiji village that was um locally that we um, she the, the director of environment um, postponed the um, scheduled consultation for the 26th of december so, um, no, we haven't had the opportunity to address it and and we all are eagerly awaiting um that opportunity uh which was scheduled for tomorrow and in- unfortunately, has just been deferred.
1: I mean, it's it's this difficult balancing game that a lot of um, authorities, community groups, development developers themselves have to play when they bring in these new projects. There is the finance, the employment that I'm sure comes with big projects, big farm projects like this, but also um, the environmental concerns that you've been outlining here, Siddell. Is there a way for a compromise to be reached? Do you think that the project can go ahead while still protecting some of these um, important mangroves that you've outlined?
8: Well, you know, um, we we don't want to stop uh, a development in any way or form. Um, we need them to uh, be able to um, focus on uh, the... Um, You know, the process of getting these developments, um, the permitting processes, you know, we need the people in charge to take note of the community's opposition in this particular case. Um, uh, We need to be consulted as in what's outlined in the uh, Environmental Management um, Act. So yes, uh, you know. Again, we, you know, we hope to have a voice at the uh, community consultation and, and 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 be able to understand how you know how this was even given consideration without um, you know after four and a half years uh, and not have any community uh, consultations at all. So. Um, again, we need the people in charge to take note of the community's opposition and um, to these types of developments, and and we want them to to follow the permitting processes.
1: Do mm. Do you feel like that those processes weren't followed, Sidel? Um, because I imagine if this does pass the environmental checks that Fiji does have around development, um, there, there wouldn't be a problem, would there?
8: Well, public consultation is typically part of the uh, environmental impact assessment process as, uh, you know, we have had the opportunity in some of the developments around the, you know, greater Suva area, um, being able to, to you know, have a voice and um, uh, Give the community uh, feedback. Um, you know, some of them have actually, you know, gone through without consultation at all. Or, or you know, we this one we're very lucky that we were able to um, get hold of the uh, notice. Um, and uh, given the magnitude of the proposed development on state land and its potential to impact, uh, you know, Suva Harbour and its communities. Um, it's just really disappointing that the local community was only made aware nearly four, you know, well over four years after its application. Um,
1: if you are just tuning in to Pacific Beach on ABC Radio Australia, we're speaking to the president of the Suva Harbour Foundation, Sidel Whippy. We're speaking about this proposed development. It's a, it's a massive tourism and hotel project, $600 million, in fact, in Suva, Fiji's capital, that there are concerns around the mangroves and, and as you've been outlining, Sidel, the bird populations there. I, I mean, have there been scientific um, research analysis done about how this development might impact? the environment?
8: Not that we know, not that we are aware of. Um, there has been scientific research, uh, uh, you know, relating to that area um, where recent studies confirm the area as a carbon sink. Um, creating opportunities to bring in revenue through blue car- carbon climate financing, which could alternatively be used um, to protect the site uh, which is of national significance. Um, the Nasese intertidal area is an important seagrass area for Fiji and therefore uh, you know carbon storage. Um, there there's a long-term monitoring site nearby in Lodala Bay um, past monitoring has shown that the seagrass are very sensitive to turbidity created by foreshore um, re- reclamation um, so no we have uh, nothing specific uh, we haven't seen anything specific um, to this development uh, however it you know there are lots of um, scientific research about the area in general. Mm. Um, and Siddhartha, you know, we're talking
1: about this this um, development in Suva, and you're, you're from the Suva Harbour Foundation. But a- as we know, this isn't the first time that a tourist tourism development, a, a large one like this, has been criticized. There's been that famous Malolo uh, development that was also criticized for similar environmental reasons. I do you feel like there's a broader concern about how land in Fiji is leased, that perhaps the environmental standards aren't being um at least enforced strict enough or maybe they're they're not even high enough?
8: Yes. Um well, you know, I'm I'm not uh um, you know, uh, experienced enough in that area to make a comment on that. Uh, I can only speak on behalf of the local residents in Suva and voice our concerns. We do have um, concerns. Uh, again, uh, we need the people in charge to take note of the community's, uh, you know, um, position uh, and in this uh, these types of developments. Uh, we need to be consulted, um, and again, the uh, development uh, permitting processes is is very um, important that is it's followed,
1: mm, which includes those consultations. Uh, are are locals yes, across absolutely. the across the board, Sidel, against this development? Are there some people that you've been speaking to that that m- might see it differently?
8: I haven't spoken to anyone who sees it any differently from the Super Foundation and its um you know stakeholders and and um, friends. Um, I haven't met anyone who is uh, at, you know so far um, i'd I'd rather not comment on on all the um you know from the de- developers' perspective. Um, we have uh, discussed it with the uh, super city Council. Who claim to be uh, unaware, um, which is uh, quite surprising, uh, considering it's their backyard. Um, so, you know, uh, again, further consultation is where we will find out a little bit more and be able to comment further. Um, we we look forward to the opportunity for the um, public consultation and hopefully they give us the date shortly after postponing it um, this morning
1: yes yes we will see and and um, would love to any updates about the, how that consultation goes and just finally uh, Sidel we do have a new government there in Fiji um, how have how have they been responding to you obviously this was um, given the least out as you said I think four years ago has this new government been different in their interaction with you and, and some of your concerns around this project?
8: I'd, I'd like to say yes. It's a little bit early in the piece. They've only been in, uh, you know, in power for a very, very short time. Mm. Um, they're looking very positive. We have um, you know, environmentalists in the government that are very pro-protecting um, you know, and saving the Suva Harbour. So, you know, um, we really hope uh, it, it goes uh, that way. And we look forward to working uh, very, very closely with the Department of Environment and um, everyone else involved in, um, you know, a sustainable and safe Suva Harbour.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time, Sidel, this morning uh, on Pacific Beat.
8: Thank you so much. Look that, forward to talking again.
1: Yes, yes, perhaps once those consultations are done and, and we, we can um, know more about how this project continues. That was the president of the Suva Harbour Foundation, Sidel Wipi, speaking to us there about that um, Tian Lun investment project there in Suva. It's a plan to redevelop the tourism and hotel sector there. But as we heard, there are
9: some concerns. Tune in to SBS Samoan News on ABC Radio Australia. SBS Samoan News features independent news and stories connecting you to life in Australia and Samoan-speaking Australians by our friends at SBS Australia. SBS Samoan News. Tune in Mondays and Thursdays at 6.05am Samoan time for one hour of news in Samoan language on ABC Radio Australia.
1: As always, to go through the stories making headlines around the region, we're joined by reporter Carl Evans. Good morning, Carl.
10: Morning, Pranka. Welcome back today.
1: Yes, thank you. I did take a very short break, and I understand that you were behind uh, the the mic tomorrow, uh, yesterday. Sorry um, <laughs> for Pacific Beat.
10: That's right. Stepped in. Happy to do so. Learn off the best.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, and uh, you have some more stories for us today. Let's start in Vanuatu because there's been a lot of uh, interest in the seasonal worker program, but Vanuatu is itself welcoming some workers, um, or at least has a plan to recruit foreign doctors this time to address a healthcare shortage. Um, Can you uh, tell us more about that?
10: Yeah, so it's an interesting one. So you might remember back in 2021, Vanuatu Mm. recruited a number of nurses from the Solomon Islands. Um, So now the Public Service Commission actually wants to do the same thing, uh, this time with doctors. So this is reported by the Vanuatu Daily Post, who conveyed this message from uh, the PSC secretary. And uh, he said discussions have been held around getting a a number of doctors from New Caledonia, actually, um, but they'll also be requesting support from other countries as well.
1: Very interesting. New Caledonia. Um, I wonder if they – well, you'd hope that they'd have to speak English, uh, Mm -hmm. New Caledonia being uh, a French territory. Um, Do other countries – have they gone to other countries to get some doctors for for Vanuatu? Yeah,
10: well, that that will be the big question. And from what I understand, doctors are in quite uh, short supply. Um, No surprises there. But uh, the Secretary – Will actually be joining Ishmael Kalkasau, uh the PM of Vanuatu, on, a, Kalsakow, on yes, Kalsakow, Sorry, on a trip to Australia where they'll uh, they'll actually be discussing these issues with the Australian PM Anthony Albanese, um, and they'll also be working with the Vanuatu Health Promotions uh, Promotions team on a document outlining Vanuatu's need for more doctors. So that to me probably sounds like a, a bit of an advertising campaign. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go. We might see some doctors from Australia heading over to Vanuatu.
1: Yes, it's very very interesting. I- I like, I like stories like this that flip the narrative, I guess. We, mm. we see uh, the Pacific now, particularly in Australia, as a source for workers, um, and it's nice to see perhaps it being reciprocated in, in some mm. way. Um, but, I, yeah, I wonder how this, this would work. I remember in 2021 there was quite a lot of controversy about why aren't Vanuatu nurses being trained rather than going overseas to get nurses um, when there are, you know, a lot of bright and, and um, you know, able nurses within the own country, or at least people who could be trained to become nurses. So I wonder if it's a similar question. This might be a Band-Aid solution, but perhaps there's something more long-term that can be looked at.
4: Yeah,
10: look, I think we forget sometimes that, you know, we see so many workers come from the Pacific Islands to places like Australia and New Zealand, but in a lot of ways they have just as much to offer. So, yes, exactly. Yeah, we could yeah, yeah. see some, some workers head the other way for a change.
1: Yes, indeed, yes. And, um, yeah, very, very interesting to see, um, especially because I think Australia is taking some nurses from the Pacific as well, particularly from Solomon Islands. So I wonder how this all balances out in the big movement.
10: If I was was a doctor living in Australia, there'd be uh, worse worse places to work than uh, than Port Villa.
1: Yes, that is true. Um, And now let's go to this military uh, story. So a major military is about to launch across several island nations what, is, what does this mean?
10: Sorry, a major military exercise, uh, ah, is, exercise. About, is about to launch okay. across several island nations. Right, my right. fault there. I didn't uh, write the question properly for you. Yes, <laughs> I do
1: get all, everything I say written for me beforehand. But yes, tell us about this military exercise. No,
10: so it's going to be a big one. So um, more than 2,000 sailors, soldiers and airmen uh, from the US, Japan, Australia and France will take part in, a, in an annual exercise called uh, Cope North, which is a, a massive military exercise held every year uh, across the Pacific. So that'll commence tomorrow and that'll Wrap up on the 24th of February, and it was reported by Island Business, and it will take place across seven uh, Pacific Island nations and in uh, 10 airfields across across Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands, Saipan, Palau, and the Federation States of uh, of Micronesia. So, yeah, look, there'll be a lot of a uh, lot, lot of noise around the skies uh, around those, those parts in the coming weeks, and, uh, and this obviously comes amid those heightened tensions as well. After that, uh, Chinese spy balloon was actually shot down uh, in the U.S. on Saturday. Which I don't know if you, you read, but made, mm. made headlines everywhere.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, spy balloon or not, some people say uh, a weather balloon. I was listening or uh, reading a very interesting article that said this might be a bit of an overreaction that <laughs> this, such balloons have, have wafted onto um, U.S. soil, well, airspace at least before, and it wasn't made such a fuss. But you know, let, let's let's uh, leave that to to uh, more military commentators.
10: Well, uh, China certainly thought it was a gross overreaction, but just yeah. I think just the. Opposite Optics alone i couldn't help but get a little bit of a chuckle of this you know f18 aircraft honing in with a with a cruise missile and taking out a hot air a hot, <laughs> air, hot air, balloon. air balloon yeah
1: exactly <laughs> um now finally let's head to guam it's it's a bit of a, a tragic story here a search for a missing scuba diver has been called off can you tell us the latest car
10: yeah that's right so res- rescuers have sadly uh come up, dem- come up empty in a search uh, for a man who went missing off guam's west coast uh on thursday morning uh, So this is reported by Stars and Stripes, uh, who say members of the U.S. Coast Guard searched high and low for three days to Mm -hmm. find the 35-year-old man, uh, and that search included everything from boat crews, jet skis, uh, even Navy helicopters, but uh, to no avail.
1: Oh, dear. Do we know anything about how he went missing?
10: Yeah, so he was actually doing telecommunications work, from what I understand, um, with a colleague near Rick's Reef. Um, He somehow became separated from his colleague and was last seen uh, wearing his black black wetsuit uh, and his orange fins, uh, along with his rebreather and spare oxygen tanks. So, I mean, I've never been scuba diving personally, but I imagine that stuff probably weighs you down a little bit. So, I mean, who knows where he's, where he's ended up and, and, and where the currents have ta- taken him. And I guess him.
1: there's a reason reason why we have the licenses and all that mm. around scuba diving is because it, it, it can be dangerous. Um, but, yeah, we, we don't know. Hopefully, at least for the peace of mind of family and, and friends, that um, he does turn up um, and, and, yeah, they can... Say goodbye, if that's the case, um, to him. Uh, but yeah, very, very sad story. I do want to learn scuba diving myself, but when I hear stories like that, I, I sort of think twice. Mm. Um, but anyway, uh, well, thank you, Carl, for those stories. I wanted to ask you how how what are your what is your relationship with the internet? Have you ever thought about you know <laughs> turning it all off? Throwing out your phone
10: the internet i 've always been pretty technologically challenged to be honest, so uh, I like most things in my life it 's pretty late to come to the internet i think oh, yeah. yeah i was never really good with computers, but I mean these days you know I, I mean i 'd probably use it as much as anybody I yeah. suppose yeah, yeah, and
1: a lot of our stories come from that oh, well, the reason I ask is because today is i think the I think the word is um, online safety or safer internet day is the way, it would, is the term. And we've got a story coming up about, um, the increase of, of people reporting cyber harm mm. things like cyber We've got data breaches here in Australia and, and across the Pacific as well. Um, various other things like, um, cyber crime as well. Um, bullying. Um, so yeah, it makes you think if uh, if our if our life would be easier without on all this uh, being connected so much. Uh,
10: I don't think it's a question. I think it definitely would be. But I mean, uh, the internet itself—that's something I've never thought of as safe. I mean, it's it's always it's been the wild west that was the whole point of the internet wasn't it you know it was just this free information sharing platform which is you yeah
1: know, and maybe when yeah. we're now starting to, starting to eat some of the consequences of that oh, absolutely um, yeah we've got that story coming up next so stick around to hear what other things people think about that and we also have a story about uh, a plan to get uh, refugees in Papua New Guinea and Nauru out of there. They've been there for over a decade, some of them, and there are plans to get them out. But stick around that for that. But, Carl, thank you so much for those stories. Thank you, Priyanka. Carl Evans, bring us the latest from around the Pacific. And you are listening to Pacific Beat here on your Tuesday morning. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. Hope you're having a lovely day. Today is Safer Internet Day, a day for us all to reflect on concerns around cyberbullying, data attacks and other risks online. And for many of us, well, like me, it's not very hard to remember a time before the Internet, those old days before those risks were front of mind for us. And some of us might actually be nostalgic for those days. A new research from Australia's eSafety commissioner shows that three out of four of us have experienced at, w- at least one negative ep- episode while online during the last, par- last 12 months. That's an increase of 30% since 2019. Nick Grimm has this report.
0: For many of those who remember a time before the internet, the online realm remains a scary and difficult place to visit.
6: A lot of times people don't know, so they're not aware and they get dragged in.
0: Absolutely, and you know
2: you do get the spams, you do get the, you know, continuous in your emails. I feel
4: it's very dangerous especially for the children Um, I have three children and I'm always worried about them, you know, what they're doing online and who they're talking to. and And even
0: for those born into a digitally connected world the internet is still a place with plenty of murky, unpleasant corners.
2: I mean, my best friend, like she does get the odd hacker or like messaging her on Instagram and whatever and like people have even messaged me asking me for like sexual pictures and all that which is quite confronting.
0: But how do you deal with it when you see things like that? Oh I just block them. Have you ever had a negative experience online?
4: Um once but I just deleted the comment and moved on.
0: Is that what people should do just delete and move on?
4: Yeah just move on they don't know you you don't know them.
0: But with three out of every four Australians having endured something akin to that in the past 12 months, many find it difficult to move on.
11: One in three adults said that these negative online experiences impacted their emotional and mental well-being. But one in six said it impacted their physical health. You know that it's distressing when it's impacting people physiologically.
0: Australia's eSafety Commissioner Julie Inman-Grant has released new research showing that not only are more Australians suffering negative experiences, but more are also admitting to being the perpetrators of the abuse.
11: Now we saw all forms of online abuse increase during the pandemic. Every, everyone was online, there was a lot of fear, uncertainty and doubt around the pandemic, we would have expected to see some tapering off or even plateauing of that. So it is it is a little bit disheartening uh, to see that this is continuing apace.
0: What are the factors driving this increase? Why are people engaging in this sort of harmful activity?
11: You know, that's a good question. We had one in six people admit that they are treating others badly online. We know that it's largely men from metro areas and under the age of 40. They're also frequently targeting people close to them, not necessarily strangers. About a third uh, will target strangers, but others are targeting friends or family members or partners or ex-partners from real life. And um, they say that some of the the top drivers are just for fun and amusement, to express their opinions, but also to punish, embarrass, or shame their
0: The research finding that 20% of those responsible for the negative behaviour found it fun to ruin someone else's day, while a quarter admitted they enjoyed causing someone distress. But most Australians, over 80%, believe those individuals should be forced offline by tech companies.
11: 82% 82% of Australians believe that they have a responsibility to keep Australians safer online. Whether it's the metaverse, it's generative AI or quantum computing, we need to make sure that companies, as they're deploying and democratising these technologies, that they're thinking about the risks and building in the safety protections up front.
1: And that was eSafety Commissioner Julie iman Grant here in Australia. Nick, Nick Grimm was the reporter there. Pacific Beat Australia's Greens political party will introduce a bill to Parliament offering immediate evacuation of the remaining asylum seekers and refugees in PNG and Nauru. The bill will offer the roughly 150 people a move to temporarily live in Australia until they're resettled in a third country. It comes as Australia approaches almost 10 years of its offshore detention policy, which stopped any asylum seekers travelling to Australia by boat from being resettled in the country. The ABC's Jake Evans spoke with Senator Nick McKim, who said those evacuated would also be provided with medical treatment and assessment.
6: What we do know about this group of people is that they've been either in Papua New Guinea or Nauru for 10 long years now. They've they've witnessed um, murder, they've witnessed rapes, they've witnessed child sex abuse, they've been the subject of massive medical neglect and it is just time to do the right thing and bring them to Australia or offer them an opportunity to come to Australia to be supported here until resettlement can be found for them in Australia safe third country. Many of these people are physically or psychologically extremely unwell and our legislation would compel the government not only to offer them transfer to Australia but if they accept that offer and come here they will be accommodated in the community and provided with the medical treatment they need.
0: Yeah, and you've touched on it there, and, and it's perhaps an obvious question, but I do want—I do just want to spell it out. So, as you say, it would—it would only be a, effectively a temporary resettlement in Australia. So, what is the motivation if they ultimately would be resettled to another country anyway? What, what is the motivation of trying to bring people from PNG to, and Nauru to here?
6: So, the motivation here is very clear. Uh, These people have been 10 years exiled from Australia in contravention of uh, our obligations under the Refugee Convention, and they should be brought here to Australia so we can look after them properly, provide them with the support they need, including the much-needed medical support that they need, and then they can be housed uh, and transferred to safe third countries when that opportunity arises. It's just simply unacceptable. We're coming up to nearly a decade Now, it's just simply unacceptable for just over 150 people to be left in exile with no hope for the future, uh, with completely inadequate... Medical care when we can just simply offer them transfer to Australia and provide them with those supports that they so desperately need.
0: Are you also trying to test the government to see where where it's uh, where it really lies on these issues? Um, as we know, it, you know it's it's largely in lockstep with the with the government with sorry with the former government, uh, even if it's somewhat uncomfortably. Is this a test for you in terms of what it may be prepared to do, how much it may be prepared to collaborate with the crossbench?
6: Well, we really hope Labor can support this bill. It's been designed specifically to be in line with Labor policy and to step us outside the toxic refugee politics that Australia's seen over the last decade. They worked with us to support the Greens' Medivac amendment a few years ago, and there is just no reason at all why Labor should not be able to support this legislation.
1: That was Australians, Australian Greens Party Senator Nick McKinn speaking there to the ABC's Jake Evans. And one of those refugees living in Papua New Guinea is Nurul Islam. Ten years ago, he fled Bangladesh by boat, hoping to find safety in Australia. Nurul was one of thousands of asylum seekers sent to either Papua New Guinea or Nauru by the Australian government as part of its controversial offshore processing policy that started in 2012 to try and deter others from making dangerous trips to Australia. He told reporter Jordan Fennell he welcomes the attempt from the Greens to introduce the bill.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's good news for me. Yeah, that's good news, very good news. This process is a long time, so uh, ten years gone. So they take every year; uh, they take some, some little, little. That means a uh, very slow process. Uh.
9: And the process oh. that they want to go through is to bring people from PNG and Nauru to Australia temporarily, and then move them to a third country. What What are your thoughts about uh, if you were involved in that sort of process?
3: Uh, my process is. Uh, Last month I have, I have interview with UN Asia for New Zealand. They say it take maybe 1 year to 6 months, to 1 year.
9: So you were in contact with UN Asia, is that right?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
9: about being resettled in New Zealand.
3: Yeah, 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 what certain settle in Uh, Resettle in New Zealand. They send my all documents in New New Zealand. If they accept, they will take me on in New Zealand.
9: Well, I didn't realise you you were in that process. Um, How are you feeling about potentially being resettled in New Zealand?
3: I I think it's better than PNG. Uh,
9: Because you currently live in PNG with your family at the moment. Um, How are you going right now? Um, I know you've been in PNG for many years. How are you feeling at the moment living in PNG?
3: Uh, It's very... Very bad. I feeling very bad. Not good.
9: Are you able to elaborate at all about what exactly makes you feel about it being so bad?
3: Uh, about it feeling not safety and uh, no, don't have any uh, for okay, not not good treatment. Not safety, and not good treatment. there has not. I am also didn't don't have any available for for work. So I can now don't have not opportunity for.
9: Although you're currently on this process of potentially being resettled in New Zealand, uh, with this idea that the Australian politicians have at the moment about bringing uh, refugees and asylum seekers back to Australia, then to a third country, uh, what do you think is needed to be put in place to make sure that transition? Is successful for people like yourself or others that you know who are asylum seekers and refugees in PNG.
3: Uh, if they bring in Australia, so we are we're very happy in Australia. If we go in Australia, we are very happy. I'm actually I'm very happy in Australia. So then they settle in third countries doesn't matter. So we are I don't I'm I mean that means I I don't like to stay in PNG.
9: And do you have other refugees and asylum seekers who are with you in your community at all?
3: Yes, we are six of community. Yeah, six of we So one is Sudanese, three Iranese, and one Bangladesh, two, we are two Bangladeshis.
9: And what are their feelings about uh, staying in PNG at the moment?
3: Yeah, all of them same. All of them same. They don't like yeah, staying here, in PNG.
9: Do you think those around you, the asylum seekers and refugees, would take up Australia's offer of moving temporarily to Australia and then being resettled in another, in another country?
3: Yeah, yeah, they are the, I think they are all of them Agree to move to Australia and then settle in another country.
1: That was Bangladeshi asylum seeker Nurul Islam, currently living in Papua New Guinea, and he was speaking there to our reporter Jordan Fennel. And with that, we're just about at the end of Pacific Beach. As a reminder for our top story, we uh, looked at the um, the move by top delegates from the Pacific's uh, top diplomatic body, that's the Pacific Islands Forum, to head to Japan to discuss a controversial plan to release treated nuclear wastewater into the Pacific Ocean. It's It's controversial for a reason. Some say the water is safe, it poses no risks, but some Pacific leaders and community groups are raising their concerns. What do you think about this? I mean, this potentially affects everyone across the Pacific. Um, The ocean does connect us all. What do you think about this plan to dump wastewater from Japan into the ocean? Do you think it's safe as some scientists say or do you think um, it should it should be taken a second look at? Do get in touch with us at ABC Pacific. Would love to hear your thoughts, particularly on that that specific issue. It's supposed to be happening very soon in in the next couple of months this proposed dumping. So what do you think about it? Get in t- touch at ABC Pacific. My name is Priyanka Srinivasan, and news is coming up. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, have a lovely day.